Well, good morning again, and Happy New Year to you as we start out 2016 together. I got a question I want you to ponder. I got something I want you to think about, reflect on for a moment, and then uh, and kind of answer in your own mind, in your own heart. I want you to take just a minute, and I'd like you to rate yourself, spiritually speaking, from 1 to 10. If you had to rate yourself, kind of how you're doing with God, with knowing him, with following him, loving him and others, if you were to rate yourself in, in how you're living out his purposes for your life, how would you rate yourself? A 10 would be, man, I'm there. I bask in his presence. I'm aware of his presence throughout the day. I talk to him. He talks with me. Things are going great. Me and God are like this, right? I'm trying to, to live out his plans and purposes for my life. I'm surrendered to him, right? I, I, I'm praying uh, faithfully. I'm seeking him in his word faithfully. Uh, that's, that's sort of a 10. I'm trying to influence others uh, for Christ, uh, living my life for him. That's a 10. A one would be, I don't really know God that well. And uh, the truth be told, I'm probably living life more on my own than for him. I'm not influencing a lot of people for God. Um, I'm just sort of doing my own thing, living for whatever's easiest, for whatever's best, uh, for whatever brings me the most pleasure. That would be a one, okay? So we got the spectrum. We got a 10 over here. Man, I'm doing great with God. A one would be down here saying, you know what? I feel pretty far from God these days. How would you rate yourself? Take just a minute. Think about it. Where'd you put yourself? You don't have to say it out loud or anything. I'm not going to shine a light on you. And you know, you don't have to, <laughs> don't have to do that. But, but, but where would you kind of fall? Got a number in mind? One to ten. How many of us would say, if you're comfortable, I know you don't have to, but how many of us would say that you'd be an eight or above? Would anybody say, oh, yeah, that's totally me? Yeah. Couple, all right, maybe one or two. My hunch is that most of us would not rate ourselves that highly, right? We'd kind of say, yeah, I'm a little bit further down the, the scale there. Um, and my question then is, are, are you comfortable with where you're at? Do you feel content to be at whatever, wherever you're at on the spectrum? If you're a five, you feel like that's a good place for you to be with your most important relationship? Do you feel like maybe there's room to grow? How many of us would say, you know what? The truth be told, I think I could use some growth in my walk with God this year. Yeah, I think all of us would probably say that. Let me ask you one final question. Whatever number you are, if you're a five or a, a seven or a three or whatever, I want you to think, and think for a second and say, where do you think you would have been last year, last January at this time? Do you think it had been about the same? You think you've grown significantly since then? Think about that for just a second. Be honest. Better, worse, about the same. Uh, was it significantly different last year than this year? I'm not trying to, like, throw down shade on anybody here. I think, is that right, Lizzie? <laughs> she tries to help me with my lingo. <laughs> She's like, throw down shade. <laughs> I'm not trying to throw down shade on anybody. She's mortified right now, by the way. It's great to have high school daughters, I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, I'm really not, I'm not trying to shame anybody or anything like that because we're all in the same boat to some degree on this one, right, myself included. But what I want us to think about, I mean, this is, Seriously, this is the most significant relationship. If, if what the Bible says is true, and I think it is, this one relationship affects every other part of our life. There is nothing more significant, nothing more lasting, nothing more important than this one relationship we have with God. And the question I just found myself asking this week and thinking about is, man, have I seen significant growth from now versus last year, or am I about the same? Am I about in the same kind of place? Am I 
roughly, I mean, maybe I've learned a few things or grown a little bit, but am I roughly in the same spot? My hunch is that that's where most of us are. Most of us would probably have to say, I'm, I'm sim- in a similar place to where I was spiritually last year, unless you're a new believer and have just recently uh, come to faith in Christ. Many of us don't really have a plan to grow, and many of us don't experience much, uh, much growth in the course of a year. We're so busy, we have hard, a hard time even just keeping up, like just kind of keeping pace. We don't really have time to invest significantly in our relationship with God. We don't, we don't feel like we have time to change for anything to be differently because where am I going to fit that in? My life just keeps going and going and going and going. And so what happens is we go a week or a month or a year or five years or 10 years and we've pretty much stalled out. We've pretty much just plateaued spiritually in the most important relationship we have in life. And I just, as I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking, man, that is not how it should be. It's not how I want to live my life. It's not, is that how you want to live your life? I don't think any of us do. But yet I think that happens over and over and over again for us. Man, I don't know about you, but my desire and my Uh, what I would aspire to and what I would pledge myself to is I want to be more alive spiritually. I want to be more in sync with God. I want my faith to be bigger this year than last year. And I want it to be bigger, greater still next year than this year. I want it to, I want to be on a trajectory in the course of my life that, that I am growing in my relationship with God until my dying breath, that the last month I'm alive is the most fruitful, right? The most God filled, the most, uh, I mean, the most alive I have ever been. How about you? I spent some time this week looking over uh, some data from a research project that has interviewed and studied uh, the lives of hundreds of thousands of churchgoers around uh, America, all over the spectrum spiritually from probably ones to tens and anywhere in between, from thousands of different churches around the country. And uh, they studied and looked at the trends of people's spiritual growth. And you know what they found? They found, first of all, that there are thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that come and sit in any given church in a given week and really aren't growing spiritually. They would consider themselves stalled out. Why don't you put that next picture up, right? Especially those in the earlier stages of following Jesus. 41% of those that are kind of checking out and just newer in the faith kind of stuff would say that they've stalled spiritually. They're just plateaued. And, uh, and those that are growing in Christ, 32%, a third uh, of churchgoers, of those in the church would say, I've stalled. I've been stalled for years. Like, in, uh, I, I'm not really growing much in that era. A couple of interesting tidbits from the study going on. Uh, first of all, age. Uh, so what they did is they, they looked at this and said, man, I'm getting ahead of myself. So they looked at this and said, man, if that many people have stalled out, let's look at the lives of those people who have continued to grow, whose growth is up and to the right. And they said, what are some of the, the things that are going on in their lives that are causing them to grow while others stall out, right? Does that make sense? You with me? And so they're looking for trends and patterns and kind of practices, what things are happening in their lives that would cause people 
to, uh, to continue to grow while others plateaued and stalled. And the uh, interesting tidbits, right, they found that age has nothing to do with it. You could, have, you could be 80 years old or you could be 18 years old, and that doesn't necessarily make, make, you know, mean that you're growing or that, you're, your faith is gr- that you're more mature in your faith than somebody that's much younger than you. They found people that were younger in their 20s and 30s and, and whatnot that, that were growing exponentially, and likewise people that were older and, and younger both that had stalled out and sort of plateaued in their faith. Gender also um, had nothing to do with it, right? Nothing to do with whether you're growing or not. This is one of the kickers. Participation in church activities alone had very little to do with whether people were growing or not. And, and, And we know this to be true if we think about it, right? People come to church all the time. They cross their arms. They sit back you know, and kind of say, move me, pastor, right? Like, I double dog dare you, you know, kind of thing. Like, it's th- just sitting your butt in the pew or in the chair, that doesn't mean you're going to grow, does it? Showing up at the right place at church, that alone does not mean that you're going to grow. In fact, it's a indicator, but it's not even close to the things that are most effective in helping you and I grow spiritually. You want to know what it is? Let's go to that next slide, if you can. Here, here, this is what's interesting. They said the primary growth uh, engine that this study found in our spiritual lives, the, things us, the thing that causes us to grow spiritually more than anything else is to become what they call a self-feeder. People that grow spiritually are those that take responsibility for their own spiritual growth, and they've learned to feed themselves, so to speak, through some of these spiritual practices and disciplines in their own lives. Those, for instance, and this is what the chart is showing, those, for instance, that read the Bible on a daily basis, this is not rocket science, are three times more likely to grow or to not stall out, keep growing in their faith than those that do not. That's three times more likely to grow. It's significant. Those that uh, pray daily for God's guidance are 33% more likely to grow in their faith than those that don't. Those that confess their sins to God on a daily, on a regular basis, a daily basis, are 50% more likely to grow than those who don't. These spiritual exercises are incredibly effective, but again, this isn't rocket science. This is stuff that God has been telling us in his book for thousands and thousands of years not rocket science, and yet so often we just don't do it. We don't put these kind of things into practice. Friends, if we want to grow spiritually, if we want to become the men and the women that God made us to be, if we want to reach our full potential, spiritually speaking, then we've got to take responsibility for our own spiritual growth and start putting some of these habits, some of these exercises into practice in our own lives. Now, that's not all there is to spiritual growth, right? There's, there's other things that are involved, but this is a foundational step, and you and I cannot and will not grow to our full potential in Christ until we put some of these disciplines, some of these habits into, pre- into place in our lives. Well, today we're launching a new series here at Ignite called Cultivate, Strengthen Your Faith in 2016. And this whole series is designed to help you put together and implement a spiritual growth plan for the upcoming year. We want you to not just make a New Year's resolution, right? One of these kind of things that we saw in the video that just says, hey, I want to, next year I'm going to you know, do this and kind of just, we have really good intentions for a few weeks and then it kind of falls off. 
We don't, want, we don't want you just to make a New Year's resolution, but we really want to give you the tools, help you put together a plan and put some practices, some accountability in place to help 2016 be a year of unprecedented growth in your life. I mean, imagine what could happen in our lives, right? If, if we were growing more and more in line with God, if we were learning to love the way that God loves, if we were learning to hear his voice and respond to his spirit in unprecedented ways, imagine what would happen if we came to know his word more and more and put it into practice in our lives. Imagine what would happen if our faith expanded and we were able to trust him with greater and greater and greater things that he was asking of us. Imagine what God would do in our lives. Imagine what God would do in our families. Imagine what God would do in our church if, we, if this would be a, a breakout year, a year of unprecedented growth for us where we learn to love and follow and serve and know God more. It could be amazing. Imagine what God would do. I'll tell you what, friends, my hope and my prayer for us is that, that we will, throughout this series and throughout this year, that we will become people that actually do take responsibility for our own spiritual growth, that we will become uh, those kind of people that say, you know what, I am going to, to develop and, and put these plans into practice in my own life so that I can grow, so that I can become more of what God wants me to be. I'm going to make it a priority in my schedule. I'm going to develop a plan, and I'm going to do it. Next week, we are going to uh, take some time and actually kind of turn this church into a seminar of sorts, a spiritual growth seminar. We're going to help you identify exactly where you're at spiritually. We're going to help you identify where you want to be spiritually, and we are going to bombard you with the tools and, and everything necessary for you to develop, uh, kind of take the first step in developing a customized spiritual growth plan for you for 2016. And then we are going to, over subsequent weeks, try and help you uh, do that, kind of fine-tune that give you the tools, everything you need to help you grow. But again, it comes down to a basic desire for you to take, to take responsibility and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk with them through this. I'm going to own my own spiritual growth and put these things into practice in our lives. Today, I just want to intro the series a little bit, and I want to talk about one sort of big idea. And the big idea is this. I think God's design for spiritual growth in our lives is more about training than it is about trying. I read one time that the average New Year's resolution lasts two weeks. I've shared that once before, but two weeks is all. That's about it. That's about how long average willpower lasts. We can get all amped up at the end of the year and the beginning of the new year and think, oh man, this year I got to hit the gym more. This year I got to eat better, right? This year I've got to do this or that or the other thing. And so we kind of get ourselves all worked up and we get amped up and we think, yeah, I'm going to the gym. And we go and throw down our credit card and we get a gym membership and we go and you know, we show up three times the first week and we're like, yeah. And then we show up twice the next week, right? And we're like, yeah. And then this, you know, the alarm is going off and we've snoozed it four times. And we're like, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to sleep. I'm just going to, I think anybody ever had new year's resolution problems like that before? I think all of us probably have in one way or another things that we wanted to do and, but our willpower alone just wouldn't get us there. 
Remarkably, I think the Bible's solution to spiritual growth and to, to, doesn't talk that much actually about uh, making New Year's resolutions, but I think the Bible's solution to spiritual growth and to, to seeing lasting life change has really less to do with trying, with sort of amping ourselves up and just you know, kind of trying to will it into existence in one way or another. It doesn't really talk that much about that, but the Bible talks a ton about training, about being prepared, about living our lives in everyday moments in ways that lead to growth, in ways that lead to transformation. Let me just give you some examples that I was um, thinking of and ran across this week uh, in Scripture. I'll, I'll camp out a little bit longer on the first one. Many of us have heard the story before of David and a giant named Goliath right? Familiar with this story? It's quite long. You can find it in 1 Samuel 17 if you want to read it this week. would encourage you to do so, but I'll just kind of paraphrase for our purposes. But the story starts out with a, a giant named Goliath, a champion warrior of the Philistines, who comes out uh, in front of the army of Israel and does what was kind of common to do uh, in wars of that day. And basically this champion Goliath challenges Israel to send out their best warrior to fight him. And they'd settle the entire war uh, by the whoever won this battle. In other words, uh, instead of having, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of warriors go and fight each other and all kinds of people die, they said, well, why don't you just send out your best warrior? We'll send out our best warrior. We'll do a, sort of a winner takes all kind of things. Whichever, uh, whichever of us wins, their people will rule over the other ones. They'll be declared the victors of the entire war. Okay, so this is kind of a big deal. <laughs> now, you got to keep in mind, Goliath, who's proposing this whole deal, is huge, right? He's enormous. Uh, the, some of the statistics they say in the passage, they say the tip of his spear weighs almost 25 pounds. That's the thing he's going to hurl at you. The armor that he's wearing weighs almost 200 pounds. The guy is a beast, right? I mean, he's, he's huge. He's scary. He's strong. He is not an easy foe to come up against. Now, the obvious person to face Goliath would be the king of Israel. The king's name was Saul. And the Bible tells us that he too stood head and shoulders above all the other Israelites. He too was a great man, a big man. But Saul was not real hip on taking on Goliath. In fact, he decided he wasn't going to do it. But instead, he thought, you know, I'll offer a nice compensation package for anybody who wants to step up and fight this giant named Goliath. So in, the compensation package includes uh, tax-free living for life, which I got to say, I might have taken a crack at it for that, right? <laughs> I mean, come on. No taxes for life and the hand of his daughter in marriage. For 40 days, no one would take the king up on his offer. For 40 days, this giant named Goliath would walk back and forth and say, who, send somebody out, you cowards, right? So bring it on. Who are you going to send out to fight me? Nobody would take him up on it. No one would dare fight Goliath. Meanwhile, in the next scene, right, you kind of zoom back and you see this little shepherd boy named David taking care of his father's sheep in a town about 10 or 15 miles from the front. He's just doing his business, right? No, he wasn't old enough or big enough to get sent to the front line, so he's home helping dad. And so uh, his father sends him on an errand one day and says, I want you to go and take some food to, to your brothers out on the front lines. And so he shows up. Uh, again, it's, at this point, it's been 40 days that Goliath's been taunting the Israelites, 40 days that they've been living in fear and defeat. 
But on this, the 41st day, one little Israelite is going to take on a task that nobody else would do. On this 41st day, the history of Saul, the history of Goliath and David in Israel would be changed forever because this little shepherd boy with, with a skinny little body but a bold faith and heart, he was willing to step up and do what nobody else would do. You guys know the story. So the shepherd boy named David goes out, uh, challenges this giant Goliath. He takes a sling and a few smooth stones. He takes the first one, puts it in a sling, strikes the giant dead, right down. He falls down dead, wins the war, game over. You know, I was thinking about that this week and thinking, we tend to think of Davids, of people like that, as sort of spiritual superstars, right? We think that they just get raised up on the 41st day, that they just, they come with courage and boldness and maybe a magical quality that we don't have, and they're able to do amazing things. And we think, well, they're sort of over here in this other category, but I'm not like that. That's not where I live. We think that they get raised up on the 41st day, that they're just in tight with God. They're just destined to be spiritual superstars, but that's not where we live. We tend to think that, friends, but it's just not true. In life today, as in life in David's time, giant slayers are made more by training than by trying on the 41st day. Giant slayers grow and they become all that God wants them to be in the day-to-day, in the small moments of life. They learn to walk with God. They learn to trust God in the small things and by meditating on his word and learning to follow him day in and day out. These men and women get forged in the midst of everyday challenges so that when the 41st day comes, they are ready. They have been training for this their whole lives. They've been trusting in God with hundreds and thousands of smaller things in their lives. And they have learned that God is faithful, that God is able to deliver them, that God is able to to do amazing things in their lives if they will simply trust him and follow him. And as a result, these men and women are able to face the giants of their day. I want you to listen to what David says as King Saul questions him about why in the world this, this measly shepherd boy expects to be able to take, take out Goliath, this giant. He says this, listen to this. But David uh, said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep for years, right? When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. And I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, that's like trash talk for an Israelite. When this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, who rescued me from the paw of the lion... And who rescued me from the paw of the bear, he will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Now we tend to just kind of read over stuff like that. But I mean, think about it for a minute. Imagine that you're David, probably a teenager or younger at the time. You're in a field watching sheep. They're not even yours. They're your dad's. And all of a sudden, a lion comes out of nowhere. He's after the sheep. He's hungry. He's looking for his next meal. And the only thing standing between this lion and his next meal is you. Now, you have no gun. You probably have no knife. In all likelihood, the only thing you have is a stick, like a big, like a walking stick kind of thing. What do you do? Huh? 
you guys, if you're thinking that you'd stick in there, I'm telling you, you're lying to yourself, right? (laughs) I think pretty much all, I mean, we're talking a lion, we're talking a bear, pretty much I would guess most of us would turn and run, right? Nobody would know except the sheep, and the sheep weren't talking, right? Like, you, you could just tell, you could make up a story, you could just, whatever, you could run out of self-preservation. But David had learned in the small things, in the day-to-day things of life, he'd said, you know what? These sheep are of infinite value, and I'm going to stick in there. My father's taught me what to do. I'm going to stick in there, and I'm going to protect the sheep. And so he, he'd learned to to take care of himself. He'd learned to, to protect the sheep. He'd learned to defend himself against the lion and the bear. I thought it was interesting in verse 37, though. He, David doesn't say, I learned that I could defeat lions and bears. That's not what he says. He didn't say, uh, I, I learned that I was strong or that I'm clever or anything like that. No, he says this. He says, I learned that God, the same God that rescued me from the bear, that rescued me from the lion, that that, that that God is faithful and he can rescue me from anything that comes my way. That's the language of spiritual training. He had learned lessons about God's strength and God's power and God's faithfulness day in and day out in a little kind of <laughs> no-name town, right? In the middle, you know, with a job that is of seemingly little importance. He had learned and built his faith and trust in God. He says, he's basically saying, I've learned that I serve a great God who is willing and able to save no matter what comes. David had learned lessons of faith. His confidence had grown. The kind of confidence that only comes when you step out and actually follow and trust in God. I mean, those who sit back and just read or talk about faith will never know this kind of confidence. This kind of confidence comes only from practice, from experience, from taking daily steps of faith with God. That's where faith gets built and tested, from stepping out and trusting and obeying and following God day in and day out. That's how we grow, friends. I'll tell you what. It was in everyday moments when nobody was watching in an unglamorous job that David built this very bold faith in God. If he had waited until he faced Goliath, if he had just tried to to will it into being, he would have surely failed. He would have run away like everybody else, but he didn't. He was ready. He was trained, and he had learned the courage and faith in God. He practiced, and now on the 41st day, he was ready to face his giant. Another example, this one I'll hit quickly, but Daniel in the lion's den is another clear example. The king makes a law that says it's illegal. Nobody can pray to any God except him. He had a Messiah complex of sorts, right? But anyway, listen to what the scripture records about Daniel's response to this test. Did he just sort of magically rise up on this occasion this day? Did he just, you know, was he just stronger or more full of faith or something than everybody else? Listen to to what it says. Daniel 6 verse 10 and 11 says, now when Daniel learned that this decree had been published, that basically you'd be killed if you prayed to anybody but the king, he went home to his upstairs room where the window opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God. What does that say? Next. Just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. That's training kind of language. Daniel had, Daniel had strength to face his giant because he had practiced, he had trained, he had grown in his faith, just like David. 
The preparation, the sort of day in and day out practice and training was what shaped their lives. It's what gave them the ability to stand and face the giants, even when it could cost them their lives. There's sort of a biblical principle that gets taught throughout the pages of God's book, and it's called the principle of sowing and reaping, right? Sowing is like harvesting, or no, sowing is like planting, and reaping is like harvesting, right? The principle of sowing and reaping, listen to this, Galatians 6, 7 through 9 puts it this way, don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked, a man reaps what he sows, a man harvests what he plants, a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh or their sinful nature, from that flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let's not become weary in doing good, therefore, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You reap what you sow. According to this passage, each one of us is practicing. We are sowing. We are planting something in our lives. We are practicing or becoming something or someone. I wonder what our actions would say that we are practicing, what we are sowing in our own lives. The truth be told, some of us might be sowing selfishness. We might be planting self-absorbed. We might be planting greed in our own lives. Maybe we're living for temporary pleasures of the here and now. Maybe we're practicing to become our own boss or to become successful in this life or whatever. And if you are sowing to those things, he's saying you will reap consequences for it. It's not like a threat. This is sort of a natural consequence for anything you do, he says. If you make a practice out of making yourself number one, there will be consequences that naturally flow out of your life. And uh, you know, in this instance, if you're making yourself number one, there will be consequences that probably impact all your relationships around you. And likewise, if you make a practice out of serving and loving sacrificially those that are around you, raising them up, there will be natural results. There will be fruit that comes from that kind of living, won't there? And we know this is true. But I wonder what your actions and what my actions would say that we're practicing, that we're planting, that we're building. I wonder what our actions would say about who we are becoming, about how we're sowing, and the fruit that we should expect to, to find as a result. You and I are training for the days when we face giants, whether we know it or not. We are trusting and follow, or, you know, are we trusting and following him in the little things of the day to day? Or are we just getting by? Are we taking the path of least resistance and choosing to live our lives for ourselves and whatever's best for me? Are we training in ways that will shape our character, will give us sure footing and strength and faith for the days ahead? For days when we stand against giants and God asks us to step up. Are we preparing well for those days or not? Friends, the Bible urges us to sow to the Spirit, to train ourselves spiritually, to learn to listen and know the promptings of the Spirit and follow Him, to learn to recognize and respond to the presence of God in our lives, to, to grow in our confidence, our knowledge, and our trust in God's Word. Not just knowing what it says, but trusting Him enough to actually do it, to put it into practice in our lives. Listen to two more scriptures here uh, that, that speak on this topic. First Corinthians 9 says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And here's how. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 
Therefore, I don't run like somebody who's running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer just beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. I discipline myself to make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. In 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 puts it this way, train yourself to be godly for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both this life and the life that is to come. What's the point? He's saying train yourself to be godly. It's of infinite value. Now, this isn't something that just happens on the 41st day. This isn't just something that you do from just trying harder and willing it into being. I mean, most of us have ruts in our lives that probably go back 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 or more years. Muscle memory sort of takes us back into the way we've been living for decades if we do it alone, if we just try harder. But instead, God invites us into a lifestyle of training, training that starts the moment that we open our lives and hearts up to Christ, training that starts the moment we put our faith in Him and start following That's the day that training begins. He is the one who strengthens and is empowering us for the work, but we have a role to play too. In these passages, it's telling us, it's telling you and me, Christ followers, he's saying, you train yourself to be godly. Make your faith, make your spiritual growth a priority in your life. Set up a training program of sorts. Choose the path of intentionality and discipline so that this, the most important area of your life, your walk with God, your faith, so that you will grow in this upcoming year, so that you'll flourish, so that you'll come alive in this upcoming year. I kept thinking about this quote I ran across this week that says this, there's two types of pain that you'll go through in this life. The pain of discipline, aka training, right? The pain of discipline and the pain of regret. Discipline weighs ounces while regret weighs tons. Isn't that true? Discipline is choosing some of the discomfort, right? Some of the, the hardship of, of walking things out in the short term. It costs a little bit, but regret is when we don't choose to discipline ourselves, when we don't choose to train and we look back and we wish we had. If only, if only I would have spent more time with my kids. If only, right, I would have done that. If only I would have done that. It weighs tons, he says. So here's the deal. Today, like I said, is just an introduction to this whole idea of spiritual training and entering into sort of a training rhythm and a process, prioritizing spiritual growth in our process so that 2016 will be a breakout year, a year of spiritual growth, a year of tremendous transformation, a year when we become more like what God intended us to be, a year that will prepare us and will train us for the days that we have to stand against giants a year dedicated to the Lord. That's that's where we're going and we're encouraging you and inviting you to come along with us on this journey. For the next 40 days, let's walk together. Let's build some new spiritual life-giving routines into our lives and take responsibility for our own spiritual growth and start training together. Next week, like I said, uh, we're going to begin to develop our own spiritual growth plans for 2016. Uh, We're going to give you all kinds of tools to help you do that. Going to give you some encouragement, make accountability available for you to succeed, all kinds of things. Throughout this series, we're going to encourage you to identify and put into practice maybe just one or two or three practices or tools that will help you grow and flourish in your faith in the upcoming year. 
couple of uh, application steps, a couple of things as we wrap up today. First of all, if you've got your phone with you, I think I left mine back there, but if you've got your phone with you, op- you, know, you can get it out if you want. Go to the Ignite Church app. If you don't have it, you should, ex- you should search in your uh, Google Play or in the, the iStore or whatever. Um, search for uh, Ignite Church Peoria and our app will come up. But we've actually added a resource tab in there. It's a second icon in and we're filling it with all kinds of things. We've got, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 different things in there this week uh, and we'll keep adding more to it as we go through. If, if you would take a look at that, um, the first, the first, there's all kinds of good stuff. We'll have articles. We've got books that we're recommending, tools that we think will be helpful for you to grow. But I think uh, the, the only thing I really want to draw to your attention this week is the first section on there has, we've listed maybe five or six different um, Bible reading plans. And uh, they're just recommended ones. If you go to the, the Bible app, there are hundreds more. You can find one that fits exactly what you want. Let me just say, if, if you have not built a regular daily Bible reading into your spiritual workout, into your spiritual routine, can I just encourage you so strongly to do that this year. Make this a part of your plan. Even if you don't do anything else that we talk about through the rest of the series, I would just encourage you, man, would you, would you take 10 or 15 minutes a day and just start opening up God's book and, and start reading a little bit and then start putting it into practice in your lives? I shared earlier, those that read this book daily and are open, meditate on it, think about and put it into practice in their lives are three, 300% more likely to grow in their faith, of course, right? This is a transformational book. Oh, can't encourage you strongly enough to do this. This will revolutionize your life. If you're not in the habit of doing it, would you make that a part of your, uh, of your daily workout? Um, they're also on our webpage if you want to check that out. If for those of you that are a little bit more low-tech and you're like, I don't have a smartphone or I don't like using the, the Bible that way, I also left a few uh, different devotionals and some, some different resources on the back table today. You can check those out. Uh, they're also available on our website. There's Amazon links to all of those. And so we'd encourage you to, to check those out. If there's one that you like, go ahead and buy it. Uh, if for some reason you can't afford it or, or can't get one that way, uh, come and see me after. I'd be happy to make sure that you get set up with whatever tools you need to grow. Sound fair? There's also, I'll just mention, there's also a resources uh, tab in the app, and uh, the second article down, there's two of them that are on making New Year's resolutions. The second article down is on questions to ask and to evaluate kind of how you're doing uh, for 2016 where you're at with your, with your faith and in your life. And I would encourage you if, you, if you have time and can do that, read that article this week too. It'll set you up perfectly for what we're gonna talk about in the upcoming weeks. But again, if you, don't, if you only have time for one thing, choose the Bible reading plan. Are we clear? Oh, and by the way, if you have the app, you may be receiving a reminder tomorrow morning at 7.30 that says, oh, by the way, <laughs> pick a plan and start reading, okay? So, so that's just another, a little tickler. It's not meant to annoy, uh, but I'll put some stuff on Facebook this week as well. But I think all of us need those little, those little reminders sometimes to sort of say, oh, yeah, I was going to do that. Oh, yeah, I want to put that into practice in my life.